First Corinthians three, starting in verse one. On a piece of paper or somewhere nearby or in your margins, I want you to do two things. Look for two things. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 15. I want you guys to look for two things. I want you to look for what do we learn about infants in Christ, people who are new in Christ, babies in Christ, and what do we learn or what are the builders encouraged to do, the people who are building into the infants, and why? So what do we learn about the infants? What do we learn about people who are new in Christ? And what do we learn about people who are being encouraged to build into people? Okay, what what is their exhortments from the Lord? What's the scripture again, right? First Corinthians three, verses one through fifteen. Who wants to read? Me. Thank you, uh, brothers. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when you, for when one says, I, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Apollos, are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given, I lay I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on his foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for it for what it is. Because the day because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his word. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Father, we pray that you would give us insight into your word, that your spirit would speak to us whatever truths are there, that we might learn about you and your promises and all the things that you say are true. What do you guys see here that we learn about infants or people who are new in Christ? Right. They tend to like follow their leader who led them to Christ. Like I think of young life, like infants in Christ are going to be like clinging to yeah. their leaders. Mm-hmm. And I still think that as we go along in young life, we still tend to do that. Like, do we really follow just Christ? Mm-hmm. Great. So we know that, you know, you see this here, that there are these young believers 
you know, that tend to be like the person who was helping them early on in their Christian life. Uh, Matthew 6, 4, he says, student when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. It's just a truth, okay? That happens. We see this all the time with people, right? Okay, what else? Taylor. That's what he was saying. A lot of people that I've spoken to over the years just will be like, well, my leader said, and they'll say that instead of being like, well, the Bible says this. Right. Or they'll just take what their leader said as truth instead of actually researching. Right. So young believers can tend to uh, rely upon their leader more than rely upon the word. Yes. Okay. What else will we learn about young believers? Ben. Verse eight: That both the person who waters and the one who plants work for the same purpose. Both will be rewarded. Uh, young believers uh, puff themselves up with what they do, and whatever side of the coin they think they're selling at, they say it's more important than for the special purpose that they pride in. Okay. Great. So their their young believers can tend to take pride in what they're doing. Okay. Um, I think it's verse. Too, where it says, you know, they're not right for solitude. Um, like I think an example is when you come back and you're like, all right, when I get back, I'm going to stop doing this, this, and this, and this. Like it, they just, they don't get it yet. They're not ready for the full thing. But right. They just automatically come back and think that giving right. them all these things is what is going to make them better. Okay. So as a young believer, they're not maybe ready for some, you know, developed doctrinal thought that needs to be, you know, debated out. You know, if you want to, you know, I think of the example of like whenever, uh, and eventually ideas of Calvinism and Arminianism come up with high school students, which is, you know, ideas around the sovereignty of God. You just want to watch a bunch of high school students just get, like, overwhelmed who are, you know, throw that on some young believers. You know what I mean? And watch them try to figure that out. And it's just like, you don't do that, right? You know, that's that's something that might be more like solid food when they what they need is milk right now. Okay, what else? Uh, they still act out of the flesh. They still act like they used to act before they met Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's all they know. Yeah, you see that right away. I mean, that's the whole point of what he's even saying. Is like, look, you guys are still being worldly. You're, you got your old sin stuff that you're still doing. You're acting jealous, right? We see that, right? Do we see that in, that in young believers pretty regularly, right? They come home and it's like not a whole lot changes sometimes, especially the stuff between them relationally that's not healthy, right? Keeps going. What else do we learn about young New believers, anything? Some come back and build it on, um, build their foundation on sand. Some come back and put it on rock. Okay. So just people who come back and want to follow Christ, usually obviously based on Christ, mm-hmm. and then other people try to get, I guess he gets uh, just swallowed up by other stuff. Okay. On so one thing that's kind of interesting, and Chad's kind of bringing the, in another illustration about the building your uh, house on the sand or on the rock, but here, and I'll go ahead and ask this question now. Is the young believer building? Look at the verse in Scripture. Who's building here? God. God is building, and who is the vehicle of the building that he's using? That's interesting, isn't it? I think all, uh, oftentimes we tend to think in terms of the way Chad kind of communicated, like the high school kid is building his house on this or that. Kind of gives a little bit different perspective, maybe, on the people who are God is using as the tool for the building that He's doing. Let's talk about that. What are the things that the builders are encouraged to do, and why? What are some things? They're, some are pretty obvious, but what are they encouraged to do, Brian? And build on Christ alone, because I think what verse is it? Eleven mm-hmm. it says it's like 
you can't lay other foundations. Like, I don't know. Part of me wants to say, like, sometimes we fall victim of this when believing, like, it's young life. Like, no, it's God. Right. It's not young life. <laughs> Absolutely. So the importance that Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation at the at the base, okay, right, of what we're building upon, okay. What else? Oh, like, I don't know if this is like or whatever, but like, as far as foundation goes, I'm using camp just because this is like what I experienced, but like, when you come back from camp, like after, say like, you laid a foundation on me with my freshman year, like when I went back, my foundation, I started building over it by getting, by telling other people, like friends, and trying to get back, um, except like, um, them to accept or uh, what am I looking for? Get them to follow Christ? <laughs> well, I was trying to just tell them uh-huh. my experience. Okay. And that was my foundation. You know what I mean? That's what was So verbalizing the foundation that right. you were seeking was making it stronger? It was making it weak. Making it they weak. They weren't agreeing. And that's what I was holding on to. Okay. 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 Go ahead, Mark. Uh, seems as if Paul is fairly content with other people discipling um, people that he first looked about Christ. Say that one more. He's like fairly he, content? Is that what he is? Like he's oh, fairly, fairly content. content. Okay, yes. <coughs> you know, I planted the seed, Paulus watered it, God's going to make it grow. Right. Nothing of my doing, nothing of what Paulus is doing. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm here, it doesn't matter if I'm across the country, it doesn't matter if I'm in jail. God's going to do the work. Awesome. And a great encouragement for us to remember, right? That it's, this is not, you know, oftentimes you have to understand when, when we are helping build into students' lives, you really need to see yourself as being teamed up with other people like parents or any other Christian influence that's in that student's life, right? Because you want to be building together. Now, some students might not have anything besides you, but sometimes students have other influences that they can be working with. Nick. Um, the second half of verse 10, uh, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Mm-hmm. So as builders upon the initial foundation, it's good to be um, careful of what kind of seed was laid before that. Mm-hmm. Kind of maybe be uh, a good Berean in the sense of maybe what truths they had been taught before. Yeah. But also be sensitive to the fact that maybe they <clears throat> have heard truths but not maybe full truths or and yeah. and how you know not step on toes while you love them and while you present the gospel truth to them yeah um i'm gonna go on i'm sorry if you guys <laughs> wanted to say something but this is because you know nick certainly hit on one of the verses that i wanted to emphasize that each one needs to take care upon about how he built upon it and we talked last week when i brought up ephesians 3 and i was um, concerned or have been concerned for so long about how we were doing and helping students becoming rooted and established and the importance of the foundation that needs to be built and then what we're building upon that foundation and uh, and I, I just you know for me it was it's been really convicting because I, what I did is I kind of thought back through my life a little bit and was thinking you know why did it take so long for me to understand or come to know in a real way some of the most essential and I would say necessary aspects of the Christian faith. You know, I came to Christ when I was, you know, my first time I committed to the Lord was 
when I was would have been between my sophomore junior year, so probably 16 years old. I was 16 years old when I first came to know the Lord. And the only things that I that I really absorbed over the next probably six or seven years by way of Christian life was have a quiet time every day. I mean, that was really the, the essence of what was built into me as to what the Christian life meant. And try to bring people to young life. Or bring people to young life so they would, I knew why, so they would hear about God. Right? And I knew that, that part. So those were like these things that were built into me, but there was so much that I began to learn later. So I understood the disciplines, but then as time went on and into my later college years, all of a sudden I had some transforming experiences where I learned about, the first thing I remember learning about was grace. And I, I will never forget the, the um, navigators. You guys heard me talk about Evan. They were having these Bible studies, these campus Bible studies that were going on. And there were some Young Life guys who I knew, friends of mine, who were starting to go to these Bible studies right at UC's campus. And they would come back and they would talk to me and they'd say, oh man, Rick, you've got to go to these Bible studies. They are awesome. This guy, Evan, he's amazing. And they said this, I'll never forget. All he talks about is grace. And I remember, I mean, I remember thinking, that's it? That's all he talks about? I'm thinking like, that, you know, I, it's nice to hear about that once, but does he talk about it like every week? Right? That's kind of where I was. Right? And so finally, through the course of however the Lord was going to get to me, I end up <coughs> meeting with Evan and getting to one of those Bible studies. And I'd never heard anybody talk about grace the way he talked about it. It was a foreign concept to me. Some of you guys who know me now, it's like, it's everything that means anything to me now. But then it was new. It was like, now I've been a Christian for seven years. Right? Or I'd been following Jesus as best as I could. And it was like, what? Oh, yeah. It, it was transforming. It was this amazing thing to me. Soon after that, I began to learn about this thing called the Holy Spirit. No one had ever told me anything about that. That was one of those subjects that most people avoid, right? And I would dare say, unfortunately, we might avoid it sometimes with high school students. It's a little complicated. We're not sure kind of what to do with it. How do we teach on that? Because I'm not even sure myself how that works. And so it wasn't until seven or eight years later, I'm starting to learn and grow in this experience of what the Holy Spirit means in my life. Seven or eight years after I came to know Jesus, I started to learn what it meant to walk in the Holy Spirit. That's a long time. It wasn't until my late 20s, before I went on, just before going on Young Life staff, or as I'm coming on Young Life staff, okay, 13, 14 years ago, or I've been on staff 13 years, so around that time, so 12, 13 years ago, was the first time I started learning about what it meant to connect to the kingdom of God. And I also started learning about something called adoption. <coughs> Finding my identity as a son of God. A son of the Father. Finding my identity as a children, as one of the children of God. Now I had heard these things before. I had, I had, it wasn't like someone said, oh you're a child of God. I was like, really? I would never heard that. Right? Okay, It wasn't like that. 
Okay? But I had never in any sense dove into the, the depth of what it means that I am a child of God now. That I have no longer finding my identity in any other way but as a child of our Heavenly Father. And what that means scripturally for my life. I would never dove into that. I had always known to go do ministry, to try to tell people about Jesus. No one had ever told me what I was really trying to do was connect to the work of the kingdom and what the kingdom's work was doing as it was advancing. And my job was to actually connect with what God was doing to not just go and try to tell people about Jesus. I didn't know anything else. And then it wasn't until about eight or nine years ago, my early 30s, when I actually started to learn about heaven and creation. And I don't know what all you guys know at this point about those things. But the fact that it wasn't until 15 years after I came to know Jesus that I actually learned what heaven would be like and how to set my hope fully, 1 Peter 1, 13, set your hope fully on the grace that is to come, Okay? If you're supposed to set your hope fully on heaven and all you know about it is, yeah, you die and you just go to this place where you float around and sing praises to God all the time. It'll be great. Right? <laughs> you know, like if that's all that you know about heaven, because you don't know anything about heaven, you're going to set your hope fully on that? I doubt it. You're going to set your hope on the next meal you're going to get or going, you know, or the, the weekend coming up. You're not going to set your hope on death and getting to be with the Lord and what that will actually be like. You're not going to set your hope on the new earth and what's coming for you as a believer in Christ. you got to know those things. Fifteen years after I became a Christian, I'm learning that stuff? I, I just, that's terrible. Do you guys understand with me? Like, I think that's terrible. Okay? And, and here's the thing. I know that as our area... As we've been doing this, this, is why I've been so convicted about this over these over these past years. Just feeling like, you know what? I have done a terrible job, and we as leaders have done a terrible job of actually being able to help our students to know these things and to be able. These are these are the building blocks of the Christian life. You got to have this stuff in place. They need people need to know these things. We should be able to teach on these things like. I mean, this should be off the top of our head all the time, what we know and what we think. In the uh, the navigators, they have a discipleship tool um, that they call the three E's. And the, the, the process that they believe every disciple goes through is called, they say, evangelism, establishing, and equipping. I think I mentioned this last week, didn't I? Okay, Establishing is the part that I feel like we haven't done well. Okay? I mean, just think about this for a second. How terrible is it that a student could come to know the Lord as a freshman in our Young Life stuff and go through three or four years or however long of being in Young Life, going to campaigners every week, even being in a Bible study, being discipled by a leader, and never be told or come to have any understanding about what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit or to ever know anything about heaven. And I promise you it's happening. I know it's happening. Because I doubt there's been a whole... If you think right now, when was the last lesson we did on the Holy Spirit? When was the last lesson we did on heaven? When was the last lesson we did on... I mean, even just one lesson, let alone helping kids to understand this as a major part of their faith. 
my gosh, walking in spirit is every, that's every, You know why you do disciplines? You know why you memorize? You know why you pray? You know why you do those things? It's not just to do them. You do those things to walk with Jesus. If those things don't benefit you walking moment by moment with Jesus, they are, you are just checking a box and using them as leverage to make yourself feel better or to build up and to gain pride. You're just being a Galatian. That's not why we memorize, why we pray. We do those things so that we can walk with Jesus moment by moment in our hearts and minds, walking with Him, the Holy Spirit. We're moving, moving with the Spirit constantly. The, uh, this is, and so for a long time I've been wanting to have a tool. And you guys know where this is going. I've been wanting to have a tool for us to be able to help establish people in Christ, to help establish students in Christ, to help establish us in Christ, in the <coughs> foundations and the building blocks. Um, for a long time, um, I'd been working on stuff. I had all this stuff on my computer that I'd written down. I was trying to figure it out. About two years or three years ago, I read a book called um, Telling the Truth. Um, by Frederick Buechner's great book and I was really motivated to try to figure out somehow it was like in this really cool narrative type form and I was really trying hard to figure out how to um, get that into something um, and then just recently this past spring okay, I was exposed to the story form life thing that some of you guys might have heard of Okay, that basically is kind of what we're talking about Okay, in a narrative form it is the trying to establish these building blocks of the Christian faith. Now, when I say narrative, do you guys understand what that means? That's like in a story-like form. That's, that's what narrative means. If you hear someone say, uh, people talk about how there's no such thing as the meta-narrative, that's basically saying meta-narrative is saying that there is an overall overarching big-picture story that we're all a part of. And just in case you know, we do believe in the meta-narrative because that's the story of God, right? Does that make sense? That's the, the big story we all believe in, okay? And it's overarching and over everything in life. And what's really awesome, okay, is that um, I think narrative or story in a story form is, is a great way to learn and to teach um, because stories are powerful. I mean, if you think of like lessons or illustrations from scripture, the things that stick out the most to you, that have the most you know, impact, generally it's stories. I mean, Jesus was like obviously the master of parable telling and storytelling to, to illustrate these points. Easy to remember. What? Easy to remember. That's right. How easy is to remember these stories? You might not memorize the verse, but you can you remember the story, the plot, how it went. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, think of like how influencing stories have been in all of our lives, and uh, and how powerful they are. The uh, in our, our car, we have a VHS player, and our kids play <coughs> "Remember the Titans." I mean, I've listened to "Remember the Titans" now. I think at least 50 times. Like, listen to the whole movie. Because they pop it in every time. I mean, I don't know how, why kids watch the same movie over and over again. I don't get the thinking behind that. I'm not like that. But every time. So I listen to that movie every time. And I'm telling you, okay, there are certain points of that movie, no matter how many times I hear it, and I'm just listening to it, I start tearing up. 
right? I just, I'm like, that's awesome. That is so awesome, right? The plot that's going on. I mean, I was like, uh, movies, songs tell stories, right? We were playing, uh, we played Love Story, the Taylor Swift song last night in club, or two nights ago. And, uh, well, listen, here's the thing, right? That tells a story, right? The whole point, and I'm telling you, okay? Now listen, what I'm going to say. I'm practicing that song, right? And I've never really paid attention to the words, ever. Okay? I'm practicing that song. I get to the end where the key change goes up and that, you know, the whole like, I was without hope, I didn't think it was going to happen, and then all of a sudden you were there, right? And the key goes up and it was that kind of thing. Like, so I'm crying practicing that song. Okay? Now listen. This is important. Why do you think, why do you think I was crying? What was moving me so much? It was Christ. And it was not something about having some great relationship. And I love my wife. And I'm, but I wasn't, I was, it wasn't, I wasn't the girl identifying with that. I mean, I don't identify, I wasn't identifying with some man sweeping me off my feet. That had nothing to do with it. Right? What was I identifying with? I was identifying with Christ and my hopelessness. And then he was there. Right? Man, it moves me. Every story, every movie that has any power to it at all is just a reflection of God's story. God's story is the most powerful story in the whole world that there has ever been. And every story you hear that moves you is just taking a piece of God's story and trying to glean from it some power. Every single one. They all point back to God's story. There are always the major pieces of the story that make it powerful. There's always things are good or things are right or things that should be the way that a certain way, right? And then there's this terrible problem or tragedy, if you will, and then there's the resolution of the tragedy. That is a storyline that did not start with movie makers in Hollywood. It is a storyline that they copied from God's story because it is the most powerful aspect of love this idea of redemption. Um, the coolest thing about God's story is, you know how like you watch a movie, and I, I'm this way for sure, but if a movie starts, and it gives me the old based on a true story underneath, I'm like that much more engaged. I don't know what it is, you're like, ooh, yeah, now I'm like really kind of into this, right? And you know, then you go back, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this, and you research like what really happened, like as you want to know, and it's always so disappointing. Like remember the Titans is one of the worst. They basically were like this team that blew through everybody. They they blew out everybody 40 to nothing the whole season. They didn't have a close game the whole time. You're like, oh, you're kidding me. They just killed everybody? That's just not fun, right? You know, and the whole thing, you're just like, dang it. There were some true elements, but then some that weren't. Here's the greatest thing about this. Right? God's story, it doesn't say based on a true story. It says it is a completely true story. I mean, you get not only the greatest story that there's ever been, but we know that this story is completely true. Every piece of it. Um, Let me ask you guys a question. How do the stories that we hear 
all these stories, how do you think they shape our lives? What do you guys think? Do they shape our lives? How do stories shape our, how we live? Anybody? Trish, what do you think? Well, I know negatively, like, with sure. girls and, like, movies, um, Great. Any romantic movie, we all want to form our lives around looking for that one guy that's going to. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Derek, I mean, kind of, kind of piggyback off the treasures. I mean, we see a little bit of a parallel to our life inside. Inside mm-hmm. stories that we hear. Okay. So, so we kind of identify. We see these stories. I mean, here's a here's a way to understand it that's really simple. And you've heard me talk about this, right? Okay. What ends up happening is each culture pretty much develops their kind of story within their culture that everyone begins to adopt and believe as being what's true and what's important. So for us who live in America and in the West, what do we believe as the dominant story that we all kind of, everyone adheres to? American dream story, right? I mean, that story pretty much drives all everything around us, okay? What are the elements of the American dream? You guys, I mean, it's simple, right? We've talked... I did teach on the American Dream recently, right? Yeah. What? Yeah. I did. Did I do it with you guys? Yeah. No. Yeah. I never talked about American Dream. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. I think it was the week after you did the campaigners up for a break. All right. American Dream. What are the elements? What do we got? What makes up the American Dream? School. Go to school. Why? But why do you go to school? To get a good job. Why? Make money, right? So you got to make money. Now listen. Why do you have to make money? You're going to have comfort, right? Comforts, whatever those might be, okay? So you got to make money, got to get a good job, okay? What else makes up the American dream? What? Okay, having the dream spouse, right? Absolutely, major part of the American dream story. Got to have the dream spouse. What else is part of the American dream story? Having some kids, okay? Hey, guys, now listen. You guys need to understand this, okay? Because this might, some, I don't know if you know this. I, if I talked about it before, you would have caught this before, okay? Our culture has created that story. And it is unique to us, okay? All you have to do is actually interact with someone who lives and breathe, like, spends all their days in a different country and grew up in a different country, and you will find out that they don't hold the same things important that you hold important. You're like, what? You don't, huh? I mean, it's hard to even, you don't, You all have trouble even communicating, okay? It, the, what is the first question that someone asks when you just, you come up to somebody in America, the first question we ask somebody is, so what do you do? Like, what's your job? What, what, that's, that is the first question we ask. If you were to grow up in a Latin American country, they wouldn't ask you that question. They wouldn't even understand why you would ask that question. They would ask you who your family is. Who's your dad? Who's your brothers? Who's your, who's your family? It's a different culture, and what's important to them, what their story says is important, is different than what our story says is important. You ever understand that? So here's the thing that gets really squirrely a little bit. So, who's right? Neither. Everybody, everybody is lifting up their story, their cultural story, and saying, and what that story does is tell everyone who lives in it what's important. This is what's important in life. And they lift it up and say, this is what you live for. This is how you should live. These are the things that are important, what you should strive for. 
and but they're conflicting. What's important in our story is different. What's important in somebody in Latin America's story, and it's a completely different. What's important in a Chinese story or in Japan? Uh, those stories, these are radically different stories of what people say is important. So who's right? And it should, in many senses, it should help you to understand how silly it is that we adhere to that our story at all. Silly. It's like we live in a bubble and, and we're happy to do it. So what are ways that we learn about this story, the American Dream story? What are some ways, just so we can... Aladdin. Media. <laughs> a little broader. Media. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely Disney, right? You guys have heard me tell the story, right, about how, okay, when Samantha was young, I went, okay, she was watching the... Uh, Cinderella or one of those, right? And I just was like, oh my gosh, it's terrible. And I hid all the Disney movies that we had that were Cinderella, Snow White, anything that was like the, if you want to be happy, you have to find Prince Charming. Because I desperately, desperately do not want Samantha to think that. And I've tried to tell her over and over again, Sam, don't buy it. Do not buy what the world is telling you, that you have to have this guy in your life to be happy. As crazy as it sounds, Samantha, as crazy as this sounds, you can be overjoyed, happy beyond everything without a guy in your life. I promise. It is just something our culture has tried to teach you and tried to convince you of. And there's lots of things. Just the comfort. We feel like, man, it's yeah, everybody has to have a nice enough car a nicer car. Everybody has to have a savings account. I mean, if you don't have a savings account, my gosh, that's... I mean, in a different culture, owning a pair of shoes might be the achievement. I mean, savings account isn't even... in What's a savings account? Right? Doesn't even make sense. Everybody has different things. <coughs> the culture's trying to convince us of these things. Convince us what's true. So what are ways that you have seen your life affected by this story? And how uh, important is it that we learn to live by God's story? Right? And that's what this tool that we're going to introduce next week, you will get, everyone will get a copy, and we'll start going through it, and you will have all that you need to take your students through it. As we go through it, you will want to stay ahead of them, obviously. But we will start going through this in leadership. We'll start teaching on these issues each week. And I encourage you, don't miss any weeks, because you'll miss a piece of the story as we go. It's vitally and radically important that we learn and know so well the story of God, and that our lives are we see ourselves and we are influenced by and we uh, speak in terms of and think in terms of God's story. Not the American dream story, not the story from another culture, but God's story. So, um, next week, we will give you guys these books. Now, let me give you guys some guidance with this. Okay? This is how it's going to work. Next week we'll get these books and we will start with the beginning. Okay, Now the, the books okay, 
are not there to sit alone by themselves. What we are introducing, okay, and in the back of the book it has this, is a 10-week discussion, or I'll explain that a little bit, 10-week discussion that you would have with a group of 10 to 30 students. You don't want to go higher than 30 probably. Okay? So if your campaign is bigger than that, you'll need to think of a different way to introduce this tool. But it's basically going to give you the scripture that everybody looks at, and it give you all the discussion questions that you're going to go through, and then it will give you points that you're going to try to make sure come out in the midst of the discussion. It's very user-friendly for all of us. It should not be difficult. Okay? Um, it is not something like that's going to argue the validity of God's story. So don't, I mean, it's not something to like try to convince people that God's story, if someone wants to argue whether God's story is true or not, that's for a different place. Okay, this is God's story. That's what we're doing. And then, uh, yeah, I think you guys will find this encouraging and helpful in your own faith as well. Um, the, some practical helps with this thing, and I, I will be here next week, but we will be doing one of the discussions, so I don't want to take time next week to go into this. So hang with me. Alright? Um, this discussion should be sold to your students more like a debate than a discussion. Okay, that's kind of how we've been doing this at Ryle now for a couple weeks. Okay, we encourage the students that it's one of those things where, um, you know, we'll put the scripture up on the PowerPoint, and I might, you know, I'll start off by saying, you know, so what do you, what sticks out to you guys about this that it says? Okay, and if somebody over here says, well, I think this, I think God is saying this or it's saying that, then I will say, you know, well, do you guys agree with that? Does that make sense? And you want students to say, no, I think he's saying this. Or whatever it is. But, but this will help people, it helps students to engage. Now, we won't be doing a discussion. There's too many of us. Okay, We're just going to be teaching on the subject so that you can get some uh, teaching on it as you get into each week. Okay, But um, that's what you would do with students. Okay, um, There are lots of questions. I mean, there's probably 30 or 40 questions for each thing that you would do. I mean, it's a ton of questions. You can skip them. You can, I mean, you can use it how you want as a tool. Okay, if you don't like the question, just go on to the next one. If you ask a question and no one's really responding, go on to the next one or ask your own version of the question. If you're doing these, um, a lot of the questions are just meant to elicit discussion. So you don't have to feel like you're trying to make a point with every question. That's something that leaders do all this. That's not at all. You might ask a question that's just kind of like, you know, why did God have the serpent in the garden where the, you know, where Eve was? I don't know. That's a good question. And let students talk about it a little bit. Why was that serpent there? Why would God do that? Okay? It doesn't actually get to a major point or anything, but you're helping students to engage and looking at the word and drawing from it. Right? Because we're going to let... This whole thing is based on the scripture doing the work. I would even encourage you guys to use PowerPoint. And that's what we'll have a disk. And you'll be able to just pop it in your computer. We have projectors. And you can use a PowerPoint. Because I think it gets everybody focused on the same version, on the same scripture. And everybody stares at it. And you just say, what do you think? And I know how it is with high school students. you got to, come on now, what do you think? Tell me what you think. And you got to pull it out. 
The uh, I'm telling you guys though, this thing is awesome. Okay, having been through it, and what we're doing with students so far. Okay, last week when we did uh, gospel, one of the weeks is just gospel or good news. We did that section with Ryle discipleship. We just do it with seniors. It was awesome. I mean, it was like, I mean, this is not a lie. One girl who had been in campaigners since she's a freshman, who's a senior now, is starts crying and saying, this is the best week of my entire life, or the best day of my entire life. Because she was just shocked by grace. It was like, I've never, I mean, for whatever it is, she's been around, she's heard people talk about grace, she's heard people talk about the good news, but man, you could just see the excitement building in students as they began to grasp this idea of the gospel and what it means and what grace means. And it wasn't more than just saying, asking these questions and drawing them out and getting them to figure out these things. So, um, the book, the role that it has is to supplement this discussion. Every page is like, there's like a page. And what you will have a student do is, like, we'll have our discussion on creation the first week, and then they will take their book and they will read one page a day. And there's seven pages. And what that does is it just keeps them engaged with the ideas that you talked about in the discussion. Keeps them thinking about it throughout the week as opposed to just the have the discussion and then be done. And by the way, with the discussion, I'd encourage you guys to try to allow for, this might be a little tough, but an hour and a half. Okay, I'm just telling you, it's that engaging, There's, and it's not long if you do it. I promise, it's not, it doesn't take forever if you do it that way. Kevin, is that true with smaller groups? I don't know if the group is like 10 or less or something. I am unsure if you have 10 or less how that will work out. Um, we'll have to see. But I just know with the groups that we've done that have been 20 or more, um, I would just try to allow for as much time as you can. Whatever you can build into your time. If it needs, means extending campaigners for a half hour just for 10 weeks, I would encourage you to try to do it. Okay? Um, it goes fast. It's not anything. Trust me. When we did as leaders, we sat and did it for three hours. Okay? That got a little long, but only after like the first two. Then it got long after about two. So, yeah. <laughs> it was long. But, my point is, there's that much to engage and talk about. Okay? The book is meant to give you guys a structure. Okay? Does that make sense too? We were concerned that if we just said, hey, here's some scripture, here's questions, just do this every week, that that wouldn't give you enough structure to you all and to your students that they would actually feel like they're going through something or doing a storyline. Does that make sense? This book will give structure to it as you go through each week, you know, coming up with the next subject, the questions that you pull out of the back of the book. Um, Right as a reminder, the purpose of this thing, right? Okay, we are going to be diligent about establishing people in Christ. I 
want you all to be, this is something that by a time a student who's been in campaigners or been in a club and been a Christian for three or four years or two or three years comes out of high school, they will have been through this, the, these subjects more than once. And it will be so familiar to them. And when it's time for them to teach about walking in the Spirit, that won't be difficult for them. When it's time for them to teach on heaven and the new earth and what's coming for them, they'll be ecstatic to do it because they live in excitement because their hope is fully set on it. Does that make sense? Um, and I, I will say this, and and I, I say this in an effort to, to help you all to understand my heart to make sure students are established. I don't care how you apply this thing, but applying it is not really optional. Okay? Now, if you want to come and have some type of discussion with me about how you want to apply it, and you want to just take the ten subjects and teach those ten things on your own, without the books or whatever, I probably would be fine with that. Okay? Because my goal is that these issues and these subjects are being taught. Okay? But... I really would encourage you not to buck on this and to make sure, look, this is just a tool to help you get these things in place. And I'm telling you right now, these subjects are so broad, you should be talking about them every week anyway, something within these subjects. The problem is we probably talk about the disciplined life, you know, hopefully the gospel, you know, uh, and kingdom life. We probably talk about two or three all the time. And we rarely talk about the other subjects. Does that make sense? Well, now we're going to even that out a little bit, and we're going to start getting focused on everything that needs to be talked about. Do you have a question? No, oh, you went like this. Okay. All right. Let me pray.